you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9. So we're going to spend our time together this morning before the Word of God. Have you ever found yourself in a desperate situation? I mean, truly desperate. Not like, I need a cup of coffee in the morning, but life on the line kind of desperation. Last year, at the end of the summer, we had not been to my parents' house for a long time because of COVID, and my dad has an autoimmune disease, and so we were trying to be very careful about in- interacting with him or, or bringing the kids around. But uh, it was at a safe enough point where we felt like we could go, and so I decided um, I was going to take the kids, our two kids, our two dogs, and pack them up and go to Louisiana to see my family. Jordan had to work, and we were also going to give her a mom day. Any, any mom day, moms know what that is, where you have you know, a break. She needed one of those mom days because COVID. And so um, we were going to give her a mom day, and we were going to go see my parents and have a great time on their property in Louisiana. As we were preparing to come back, I decided that I wanted to drive at night because I was a single parent at this time. And anytime you have two kids under the age of five, uh, you need as much help as you can get. And so the fact that they would be sleeping at least some portion of the travel time was going to be a huge asset for me. And so we had dinner with my family, packed up everything right before the, the sun started setting, and we headed off toward home. Well, we get to Ruston, which is about 45 minutes from my parents' house, and Jude says, hey, Dad, I need to go to the bathroom. Okay, well, I've got limited options at this point. Both my kids are in their jammies, two kids in the car. My daughter's almost asleep. So I think, okay, we're out in the country. Let me just pull off somewhere nearby and you can use a tree or something like that effect, right? And so we, we find this kind of abandoned Exxon mobile station on the outskirts of Ruston. I pull in there, I jump out, and as, as we're getting out with Jude, our, our dog, one of our dogs, our little uh, Shih Tzu, her name is Lucy, was trying to get out of the car. And so I was like, well, let me just shut the door so she can't get out. And so I go over, Jude starts going to the bathroom, come back, and find that the car is locked. Running with the keys inside, my phone inside, most importantly, my daughter inside, Apparently, in Lucy's desire to get out, she had gotten up on the side of the door and hit the lock button. It's getting dark. I got one kid in Jamie's on my hip, one kid in Jamie's crying on the inside. She's a year and a half, so even if she could understand what I was trying to ask her to do, she's strapped in and can't hit a button to unlock us, and Lord knows our little small dog isn't smart enough to go hit that button again. Uh, So I don't know what I'm going to do. I I had a, a moment where I just said, Jude, can you stand right here? And I just jumped up and down in frustration. I said, God, you got to help me. Well, luckily enough, I say luckily, maybe blessed enough, at that time, uh, this car turned down the road right in front of this uh, abandoned Exxon mobile station, and I ran to it. It was light enough still to be able to get their attention. And I said, listen, I've got a really odd request. Can I borrow your phone to call the cops because my dog locked me and my son out of the car and my daughter is stuck inside the car while it's running? And thankfully, they said yes. And so I called the cops and within 15 minutes, three uh, cop cars, Ruston Police Department pulled up and they said, normally we don't open cars for people, but given the circumstances, if you give us permission with the possibility that we may break some glass, We'll open the car door. And I said, by all means, do what you got to do. I got to get to my daughter. They opened the car within like five or 10 minutes and we were on our way home. But it was traumatic. 
I was shaking even for the next 30 minutes as I drove. I was truly desperate in that moment. I'm glad it was a short-lived desperation, but there were a few moments where I didn't know what to do and I didn't know who to turn to. Have you ever been in a place like that? Have you ever been desperate like that? Many of you maybe came today in your own place of desperation. Well, I got good news for you. You're going to be able to identify with a lot of people who are in our text this morning. Because there are a lot of desperate people that we will encounter in Matthew chapter 9. They have different reasons for their desperation, but they are all desperate nonetheless. And they're life-threateningly desperate. Everything that we'll encounter today threatened their life. In fact, one person has already died because the situation was so desperate. But it's through these stories of desperation that Matthew teaches us something incredible about our King Jesus and the kingdom that he is building. Matthew wants you to see, because he experienced it himself, that this Jesus has come to meet us in our desperation. And our, our moments of greatest desperation, we have hope because Jesus wants to show up in them. How incredible is that? He's come to rescue us from our desperation when no one else could. Here's our goal for this morning as we study Matthew chapter 9. I want us to recognize that whether we know it or not, all of us apart from Christ are in a desperate situation. You may have come this morning with a a physical desperation, but it's symptomatic of a larger spiritual desperation that all of us are in apart from Christ. But I also want us to see the compassion of Jesus toward those those who in the midst of their desperation call out to him in faith. How he desires at the core of his being to help us in our greatest moments of desperation. It's just how good he is. When we come to him, he is willing and he is able to help. The story of the gospel is the story of a compassionate Christ delivering us from our greatest desperation. So let's go before the text this morning, Matthew chapter 9, and let's behold this compassionate Jesus. Let's let's turn our eyes to him, as we should do in all things. Beginning in verse 18, here's what the word of God says. While he, Jesus, was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him saying, My daughter has just died, but come, lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the the flute players, they were hired in that time to accentuate the, the mourning experience and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for this girl is not dead, she's just sleeping. And they laughed at him. 
But when the crowd had been put aside or outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. And this passage, Matthew introduces us to some very desperate people for, in fact. And I think their, their collective desperation is meant to paint a picture for us of our own state of desperation before God. In need of him to act when no one else could. Four encounters between desperate people and Jesus that help us understand in greater ways the work that he came to do. Let's walk through each of these desperate encounters one by one, and let's see if we can identify with them in our own desperation. And, and just maybe the solution to their desperation can be our own solution as well. Matthew chapter 9. The first encounter we see is between Jesus and a guy named Jairus and his daughter. We see this in verses 18 to 26. And to help us get the full context of this passage, we're also going to look at Mark's account of this miracle. Mark chapter 5, he gives us a few more details that help us see what Jesus has done here. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. His daughter becomes very ill, and then she becomes dangerously ill, and then she dies. And Jairus is a father comes to Jesus in desperation and begs Jesus to heal her, to, to bring her back from the dead. Now, I, I can't imagine a more desperate moment than maybe Jairus finds himself in. Death is always a desperate situation, right? It's always a, a difficult thing to, to face, to deal with. But when, it, when it's your daughter, your kid that you're dealing with who is dying or has died. As a parent, I know there's nothing I wouldn't do to save my kids. I, I would be so desperate to find any solution to what ailed them. It says a lot about Jairus that he believed that Jesus could do something about that. He, he ran to Jesus and said, I need you to help me. I need you to do something that nobody else can do. I need you to help me in a way that nobody else can help me. I'm all out of places to run. Will you do something? Maybe you find yourself in a situation like this this morning. Maybe someone close to you has just died. Maybe you've just been given a terminal diagnosis or someone that you love has been given a terminal diagnosis and you're facing the reality of death in the face. What do you do? Who do you turn to in those moments that heightened desperation? 
Counter number two. In the middle of the story of Jairus and his daughter, verses 20 to 22, we find a woman who has an issue of blood, perpetual bleeding. She's unnamed, but she's been ill for some time, 12 years, the Bible says. It's a long time to have an issue like this. And this woman, according to Mark chapter 5, has done everything she can to find a solution to what ails her. She's paid all of her money to people who said they could help but couldn't. And now she finds herself worse off, off, not only financially, but physically. Hoping, against hope, that there's someone, something can do something about her current situation. It's not just her physical issue that's at stake. It's her religious status that's at stake, her ritual purity. Because according to Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25, all the days that a woman has a discharge like the, the one this woman has here, she's considered to be unclean. And she runs the risk of making anyone who interacts with her or touches her unclean as well. I want you to say that this woman was a virtual leper in her society. Constantly forced to stay outside of the community. She would have had to leave her family, leave her village because of this ailment. Isolated and alone. She was not just desperate to be healed, but to be made clean to be freed from her illness and the isolation it brought about in her life. Desperate. Encounter three, two blind men. Verses 27 to 31. We see two blind men following Jesus, crying out to him for mercy. Being blind at this time in this society was really difficult. In fact, aside from death, blindness was looked at as the the worst kind of affliction, and oftentimes it was associated with divine punishment. People would look at you and say, hey, what did you do to make God not like you this much? That's the only reason he would allow this to happen in your life. These people would be abandoned, left in the streets to beg for someone to show them mercy, to help them live. But unfortunately, blindness was a common ailment in this time. Think about how many people in this room have to wear contacts or glasses, who have cataract issues or, or other issues with their eyes that people in this time just didn't know about. A lot of people had vision issues in this time, and there was not much that people could do about it. And in their desperation, these blind men, they cry out to Jesus. And then, perhaps the most desperate situation of all the situations, we see a demon-possessed man who's been made mute by the possession or See that in verses 32 to 33. This desperation is comprehensive because he's not just afflicted physically, he's also afflicted spiritually. In fact, it's a a spiritual issue that has caused his physical issue. And here's what makes it worse. He doesn't know he's desperate. He's so blinded by the the spiritual oppression, he doesn't even actually recognize that he's sick. And even if he did, the oppression has brought about a muteness that won't allow him to cry out for help. Even if he could, even if he wanted to cry out for help, he could not because of the way this oppression has taken hold of his life. He has to be brought to Jesus. So in this one passage alone, it's overwhelming the desperation of this passage. In this one passage alone, we see the desperation of death, 
The desperation of being unclean and isolated. The desperation of blindness and of abandonment. And the desperation of spiritual affliction. Of demonic activity. But what do we see in response to this desperation? How does, how does Jesus respond to these people who come up to him desperate? He shows them compassion. We see the love of God in action toward those who are desperate. The desperation of man is met by the compassion of Christ. And friends, that is good news. Just See for a moment the compassion of Jesus in this text because Matthew wants to see. He wants us to see how loving Jesus is as he speaks into these moments of desperation. Jesus honors the request of this leader, Jairus, and brings his daughter back to life. And he does so with a personal touch. So we see in verse 25, he touches a dead girl's body. He takes her by the hand, the Bible says. Now, anybody else, if they touched a dead body, they would have been considered unclean for at least seven days. But Jesus is not made unclean when he touches this body. He makes this girl undead. It's power. Power we see, but compassion. He didn't just speak over her. He takes her by the hand. There have been others, obviously, in the Old Testament who had brought the dead back to life. Not many of them. Elijah in 1 Kings, Elisha in 2 Kings. But nobody, nobody had brought someone back to, to life with, in conjunction with the claims that Jesus was making about himself. He takes the mantle of these Old Testament prophets and he exceeds it. This Jesus. And then we see this interaction with the unclean woman. Jesus allows her to touch him. And then the Bible says he looks at her, he sees her, and he calls her daughter. I don't think that's an accidental inclusion by Matthew in this text. A woman who had been avoided for 12 years, who had been purposely looked over, suddenly is face-to-face, -face, locked in a gaze with her Savior. You see, he brings her back into her community as he heals her. It's not just healing that takes place in the life of this woman, it's restoration. She's now a part of a people, she's a part of a family that she could not have been a part of prior to Christ speaking in her life. As he heals the, the blind men, Matthew tells us, he didn't just speak to them, he actually touches their eyes. He wants to get close to these men and interact with the very thing that caused their desperation as he speaks new life into them. He does not ignore their cries for help. And he sets the demon-possessed man free displaying his authority over both physical and spiritual once again. We've seen the authority throughout the Gospel of Matthew. We've seen the power of Jesus throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And now Matthew wants us to see that his authority is overwhelmed. His, his ability is overwhelmed and moved by the love that he has for those who are in need. 
It's a compassionate savior that we see in this passage. He is truly and completely loving. And as he does these acts of compassion, as he performs these acts of compassion, we are seeing the the divinity of Christ on full display. As he as he does these things, as he, as he meets these people in their desperation, he is fulfilling and embodying the character of God as God. Remember when we, we came in this morning, we read together Psalm 103. And listen to how the psalmist testifies about the goodness of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Who can do these kinds of things? God does these kinds of things. It is God who looks upon his people in their desperation and moves to act to bring them resolution. And Matthew is saying the God of the Old Testament that we worship, he's made himself flesh in Jesus and he is doing the very things that he promised. He's meeting us unlike at any point in history in the midst of our desperation. He's not just speaking into our desperation. He took on flesh and dwelt dwelt among us. It's these moments where God is or Jesus is acting compassionately, that his divinity is on full display. He's God in the flesh, desiring to help us in our our greatest moment of need. Listen, you know, oftentimes we, at our church, we want to make sure that we speak about God comprehensively, that we don't overemphasize one attribute over another because we talk about God being loving a lot and it's, it's dangerous if we're not careful that that loving component can be misapplied to our lives and we think that God doesn't care what we do or he doesn't require us or desire us to walk in righteousness. And there, there's a good piece of that as we think about the holiness and the righteousness of God and, and how that should have a, a guiding force in our lives. It's good to think about God in his fullness. But what we see right here in Matthew chapter 9 is Matthew saying, yes, I want you to be aware of the authority of God. I want you to be aware of the authority of Christ. But I want you to be moved specifically by the love that drives the core of his being. The compassion that drives the core of his being to act as he has acted on our behalf. God wants to help us in our desperate state. And the evidence of that is in the sending of Jesus Christ. And we see that reinforced in the way that Jesus interacts with us in our desperation. This is a quote from a guy named Dane Ortland, who wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. And if you haven't read that book, you need to go read that book. Here's what he says. The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. That should be encouraging to you, friends, because we are desperate, aren't we? The Bible tells us over and over again that that we're desperate and 
In fact, it uses all of the, the moments of desperation we see in Matthew chapter 9 to describe the fullness of our desperation. We are dead and surrounded by death apart from Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and Romans chapter 6 verse 23, we are unclean and unfit to be a part of God's people or stand in his presence. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 13 and 14, we are blind. We are blinded by the the ruler of this world apart from the work of Christ, and we are unsure of who we are to follow according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. We are bound by the sin of this world and able to recognize our desperation, our call out for help without God's intervention on our behalf according to Romans chapter 6. What we see here in Matthew chapter 9 is a description of our reality as broken and sinful man, dead, isolated, unclean, abandoned, blind, oppressed. But God does not look down upon us in apathy. He doesn't look down upon us without love and a desire to step into that situation and help us when we could not help ourselves. He will not ignore us when we cry out to him in faith. In fact, he has acted to make sure that we would have access to him to free us from the thing that so desperately holds us back. He looked down upon us with love, had compassion for us, and acted to fix what ailed us. He acted in Jesus to take us by the hand and lead us out of death. He acted in Christ, taking notice of us, to cleanse us and bring us back into a people who have been cleansed by his redemptive work. He has touched our eyes, removing the scales of sin allowing us to see what we could not have seen otherwise. He has freed us from the oppressiveness and bondage of sin and allowed us through his mercy to cry out to him for help. And he has responded with a resounding yes. That is good news, friends. John three sixteen. Think about the, the crazy reality of that verse, that God so loved the world He loved the world in this way that he would be willing to send his only son so that whoever believes in him would be saved, would be rescued from this moment of desperation to to be healed, to be restored. How great the love of God for us. Jesus wants you to, to, Matthew wants you to see that God has acted in Jesus He's been moved because of love to save us. In fact, later in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Matthew says that Jesus looks at the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. He, He acted because of his compassion, his love. And that's why he has come to save us in our helpless state. Matthew tells us there is hope in the midst of our desperation. Jesus is someone worthy of placing our faith in. He is a willing and able savior. I got that phrase from a sermon from Trip Lee that I watched earlier this week. Jesus is willing and he is able. 
to fix our greatest need, to, to resolve our moment of greatest desperation. That's pretty good news, right? He's not just willing but unable. I may be willing to give all of you a million dollars, but unfortunately I'm not able because we don't have that kind of money. I may be able and unwilling. That'd be a terrible thing to say of God, right? That he could do something and has not done it. It'd be wicked. It'd be selfish. But God is willing and he is able. And when you come to him in humility and declaration of faith, you will find that he will answer you in your desperation. Now, this description of Jesus and what we're seeing here in the text, it, it forces us to wrestle with a question that I feel like we have to ask, uh, wrestle with every time we come to a passage like this. Jared, does this passage guarantee us, guarantee us healing if we have enough faith in Christ? Many of you have heard people use passages like this to say that if you have enough faith, you're guaranteed healing. And I always feel pastorally responsible to make sure that we confront that kind of false teaching. Do you know that every single person who was healed in Matthew chapter 9 died of something else? Okay? It's important to remember the context of what's happening here in the gospel. It's important for us to remember the greater work that Jesus is doing that this is meant to testify to. The work of Christ here, these physical miracles, these works are meant to be testimonies of the larger work that Christ is doing to prove his authority. And notice that Jesus always wants to tie miracles like this to his teaching, to bring clarity to why he is doing it. That's why he says in verse 30, don't go tell people. Because you just testifying to it, apart from the truth that I'm attaching to it, will lead to the wrong impression, and they'll just think I'm another sideshow. That's not who I am, Right? I want to clarify why it is that I'm doing these miraculous works. There, were, there was a specific purpose to these physical healings. And sometimes God still acts that way today. It is true that God will, will bring physical healing today in order to accomplish his larger redemptive purposes. Remember, it's unusual, right? Miracles by nature don't happen very often. It's unusual, but God still does it to bring himself glory and to further his redemptive purposes. But sometimes the physical aspect of healing is delayed. And we have to believe that if there is purpose in the healing, there is also purpose in the delay. And that ultimately, whatever God decides, whatever God decides in his wisdom, it is ultimately for his glory and our good. Let's remember some things. If you are in Christ... A healing has already happened. Don't lose sight of that. You are spiritually dead. You are spiritually unclean. You are spiritually isolated from the community of God. You are blind. You are oppressed, unable to cry out to God for help. But Jesus, in his mercy, has come. And his perfect sinless life, his sacrifice on the cross, and the resurrection that occurred three days later has provided a means for you to be set free and healed from all of that. And if you cry out to him in faith, 
If you trusted in him for salvation, a healing has already taken place and you gotta rejoice in that. And if you are in Christ, a future healing has been promised. God is making all things new in Jesus. There will come a time when you will receive a new glorified body. One that if you just sleep wrong and you're 38 years old, your back goes out for a whole day. Anybody else testify to that kind of stuff? The kind that won't be bothered by cancer anymore. That won't be bothered by diabetes. That won't be bothered by an autoimmune disease or whatever it is that ails you. There's coming a time when Jesus will make it new, when you have a body that's freed from the curse of sin, that's freed from the brokenness of this world. That will come. That is yours. And whatever happens between the first coming of Christ and the second, between the healing that's already taking place and the healing that is promised that will come. We have to trust in God's wisdom to deal with us as he sees fit for his glory and our good. Now, until he returns, we exist in a broken and fallen world that includes illness and physical death. And we must believe that inasmuch there is purpose in these healings, there is also purpose in our suffering. And that our God is still good and that he is still willing and he is still able. We just don't see it all yet. But we trust because of the foretaste that we've been given in the resurrection that his promises will come to pass. And we will wait for that glorious day. Listen, it takes faith to trust God in difficult times. To say that you don't have enough faith and that's why you're not being healed, I just think is ludicrous on the face of it. It takes faith to, to, to walk in suffering, doesn't it? Talk to Job. I don't know of a person, human being, that has suffered more than Job, and yet he had tremendous faith. It wasn't because of his lack of faith. It's actually because of his faith that he suffered. Talk to Paul. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. Did he lack faith? Talk to Jesus, who has suffered more than any being has suffered in the history of the world. I don't think we want to say that he lacked faith. Something different's going on here that we need to understand. We need to get the whole picture of the gospel. And the promise here in Matthew chapter 9 is not that we will always be free from suffering, that we'll always be free of desperation in this life, but that Jesus will come and meet us there. And he offers us a hope that exceeds this life. That deals not only with our physical situation, but our spiritual situation. And he's given us a foretaste in our salvation of what will be fully done when he returns. That's the hope that we place our faith in. And we can trust in it because our God is loving. And he is good and he's compassionate toward us. And he desires the core of who he is, to help us in our helplessness. How can we respond this morning to our text, Matthew chapter 9? What are some things that, that we can embrace as the people of God in response to what Matthew is revealing to us of Jesus in this passage? Three responses I want to draw our attention to today. Firstly, would you cry out to God in faith from your place of desperation? I don't know where you are today, 
Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe your desperation is a spiritual desperation today that you are lost, that you are burdened, saddened by your sin, and you don't know where to turn. You're crying out like this man up in the balcony today, maybe in your spirit, maybe in your heart. And we praise the Lord for that. We praise the Lord for that declaration of desperation that many of you may be feeling right now. You've turned every place you can think of to try to get your life right, but you've wasted your money and no one's been able to help. I wanna tell you this morning, there's a place you can turn. His name is Jesus. And he is desiring, compassionate, willing to help. He loves to help. Pastor Kurt reminded me of a, a quote earlier this week. God has never had to be moved to be merciful. He has to be moved to be angry. See that throughout the Old Testament. You've got to do some things to get him angry, but he is ready and willing to be merciful to those who cry out to him. Would you cry out to him this morning? Would you place your faith and trust in him alone for salvation? But some of you maybe have already been saved, but there's other desperation in your life. And you need to be reminded that you're not alone in that, that God has not forgotten you in that. He's with you in it. Maybe they be reminded of the fact that there's already been a healing and that there will be a healing. You need to rest in the goodness of God this morning. Maybe that's your response today. Would you cry out to God from, in faith in your place of desperation? Listen, there are a lot of reactions to Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. A lot. Some people laugh at him. Isn't that crazy? He comes into that house, Jairus' house, and says, hey, yeah, we don't need the flutes. We don't need the mourning because she ain't dead. She's sleeping. And they start laughing at him. The Pharisees, verse 34, they look at what he does and they give credit to, to Satan for the work of God. That's a pretty serious thing we're going to get more into in Matthew chapter 12, I think. But my hope is that our response to Jesus will be one of faith. That we will see him for who he is and we will believe in him. And we will allow the compassion that he desires to show us to take up residence in our life. Will you respond in faith today? Secondly, would you see God's compassion toward you in Jesus and rejoice? God has met us in our desperation and he has done so through his son, Jesus. There's never been a more incredible display of God's love in action than Jesus coming into the world. If you've ever doubted God's love for you, then you look to the cross. You look at the mercy God has poured out upon you in Jesus. And you remember that he looked at you when no one else would look at you. And he called you daughter. He called you son. Friends, we should never get over that day. Let's not forget about how lost, let's not, let's not forget how desperate we were and how Jesus met us in that desperation. You always have a reason to worship because of the compassion that God has shown you in Christ. And finally, let's bring those who need Jesus to him. I said earlier, the last guy we encounter in his desperate state, this demon-oppressed man who was mute, I think is the most illustrative of who we are apart from God. Remember, apart from Christ, we don't even know how lost we are. 
and we don't have the ability to cry out for him even if we would have wanted to. It's, it's the mercy and the, the grace of God that we are made aware of our sinfulness and pointed to Christ who saves us. Now I want you to think about this verse. There are some people mentioned here that if you're not careful, you could overlook a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. There were some people who saw this man in his desperate estate and they knew he could not do anything about it without their help and they helped. They had compassion on him, reflective of the compassion that God has for us and as a result, he was able to encounter Jesus and be set free. Friends, do we have that kind of compassion as the people of God for those who do not know Jesus yet. There are people all around us who are enslaved to sin. There are people all around us who can't or won't cry out to God for their help. Will we be these kind of Christians? Will we be these kind of followers of Jesus to say, hey, you're looking in all the wrong places, friends. You're turning to the wrong, wrong place. Let me bring you to someone who can help and longs to help so that they can find freedom, so they can taste the compassion of Jesus. Do we love people in this way? I, I pray we're challenged in that. Wanting everyone we know in our families, our neighborhoods, our places of work, that we would want them to experience what we've experienced and we would bring them to Jesus. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time before the Lord asking him to, to help you know how to respond to the, the word of God and the movement of the spirit amongst us this morning. Do you recognize your desperation, your need for Jesus? Maybe today's the day when you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. When you see that God sent his son to meet you, then you cry out to him, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can save you? And you say, yes, yes, save me. He's willing, he's able. Maybe there's other desperation in your life. That's just the reality of this broken and fallen world. Do you remember today that Jesus is with you? Do you remember a healing has already taken place and a, a future healing is promised? And will you rest in the wisdom of God? Yes, pray. Pray for healing. That God would use it to bring himself glory. But even if he chooses to delay that healing, that he would use your entire circumstance to bring him glory. And would you just take a moment today and worship God? Ah, to think that we were dead, surrounded by death, unclean, perpetually unclean, isolated, alone, blind, abandoned. and bondage to sin, unable to speak, and yet God spoke 
into that desperation and delivered us through Christ. Because of his love for us. That's a God worthy to be worshipped, friends. And then is there someone in your life the Holy Spirit may be bringing to mind that is in a place of desperation, spiritual or physical, and needs to be brought to Jesus? Would you just ask God to give you the opportunity to make much of him and to help them see where they should turn? Would you call them to turn their eyes upon Jesus and see what God does in response? Father, would you help us know how to respond rightly as your people? And would you stir in us a greater love for you because of what you have revealed to us of yourself? In your Bible today, we pray in the name of Jesus.